Hello, and welcome to the Salisbury Pediatric Associate Health and Wellness Newsletter Audiocast. I'm your host, Dr. M, and this is issue number 16 from volume 13, which corresponds with the week of April the 3rd of 2023. Let's begin with the free thoughts. Thinking about the future with regard to health span means that we have to make decisions now that seem completely unrelatable to our health. This means that actions today with regard to diet, exercise, stress, chemical exposure, and many other things have a long course relatability that is really hard to see now. Alas, there's a timeline where today's actions come to pass down the road to fruition. I think of all the children eating mostly ultra-processed food, sitting on screens much of the day at school and at home, not moving much, getting exposed to toxins from the environment and being stressed by social media is a true recipe for human dysfunction and disease. The statistics bear this out year upon year. Keep planning for the future by making subtle but meaningful changes today for your family. The podcast that corresponds with this week is number 42 with Bill Harris, a deep dive into omega-3 fatty acids like fish oil and all of the information related to its anti-inflammatory effects. Song of the Week, Stone in Love by Journey. All right, let's get to it. Cholesterol Lipid Hypothesis Part 7. This is the follow-up. It is imperative that all readers know that anytime you go against conventional wisdom, you run the risk of negative reactions from providers of care that disagree or do not know about the depth of hypothetical disease etiology. This set of lipid and cardiology articles was meant to stimulate the reader to think beyond the simple answer that statin medications and cholesterol lowering are the primary or only answers to coronary artery heart disease. The treatment of any disease must start at the headwaters of pathophysiological dysfunction. To wait until a medicine is the only way to a healthy home is not in anyone's best interest. I will state that the statin class of medications may or may not be a part of the solution for an at-risk heart disease patient. Every patient needs to weigh the risks and benefits of cholesterol-lowering medications in the context of a broader picture of disease. I firmly believe that a large part of the population could avoid drugs by following the prescription laid out in article number five from two weeks ago. I have been practicing these principles for years and have seen my risk for disease plummet based on blood lipid parameters, markers of inflammation, and general well-being. This is not to say that I am medicine-free because I am not free of it. Despite 15 years of aggressive lifestyle interventions that align perfectly with Article 5, my inherent genetic risk screamed, not so fast, buddy. My risk scores included a coronary artery calcium score that was lovely, but my underlying apolipoprotein B level would not find a happy resting spot that would allow me to feel comfortable being medicine-free for the next decade, decade or hopefully four decades. My family history is full of early onset heart disease with multiple deaths and heart attacks in the 50s and 60s. So I decided at this point I need to make another choice. So I recently began a PCSK9 inhibitor, and a medicine, which is a medicine that increases the ability of cholesterol to be taken up as the LDL particles by the liver, and as well a second medicine that helps decrease the intestinal cholesterol uptake. Now, every marker of risk is normalized. No side effects to the drugs, no problems. This is good. I state this as an example of how, even with the best of intentions, medicine may still be an essay part of a risk reduction reality. Who knows? Maybe, maybe a heart attack will still grab me before I want it to. 
I will tell you this though, it won't be because I was lazy or uninterested in my own personal health and longevity. Knowledge is one key to change. Desire is the second. Support is the third. Action is the final step. Furthermore, as a pediatrician, I see the world through a child's eyes, which changes my viewpoint. Working to get children to understand these principles at a very young age in order to prevent heart disease is my goal. Kids are strong, resilient, rapidly repairing themselves. Therefore, if every child followed the protocol in Article 5, I think that our disease risk nationwide would fall like a lead balloon. Unfortunately, this is not happening almost anywhere. Actually, we are on a completely opposite trajectory. We are failing. Most major disease parameters seem to be on a rapid upswing. Pre-COVID, there were tiny signs of slowing and reduced death. With COVID, these parameters have exploded, especially with heart disease. Death remains the ultimate statistic to try and ameliorate. However, health span and quality of life is a close second, and economically is even more important than death in general. There are many reasons that we are dying less in general up to COVID, including reduced smoking, better rapid treatments and detection techniques, improved environmental standards for pollution of air and water, improved public health strategies for healthy lifestyle decisions. However, despite the falling death rates, the incidence of cardiovascular disease is rising. Looking at a large Veterans Administration study in Nature Medicine, we see a hazard ratio of 1.66 for ischemic cardiovascular disease, which is a big jump related to COVID from Xi et al. 2022. These issues were in high-risk groups, as would be expected. Overall, we are attempting to reduce death through medical management in a crisis, but losing the battle to morbidity, disease frequency, and poor life quality. We have much work to do. COVID has taught us so much about our poor lifestyle decisions. Every day in clinic, I see the average American child living in the ways opposite of Article 5's protocol. I believe that this is the reason that disease rates will continue to climb. These activities bring about all of the risk factors for heart disease, including diabetes, obesity, high blood pressure, and systemic inflammation. The same risk factors for COVID death and morbidity. Section 2. My good friend, Dr. Francis Coster, recently posted this piece that I felt I needed to share as Section 2 today. Pollution and air quality are gaining more and more of the healthcare spotlight. Our North Carolina state legislature is guilty of child neglect as one in five Americans work at or attend K-12 schools. Quote, according to estimates from the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, half of these adults and children spend their school days breathing air polluted with toxic chemicals, mold, viruses, bacteria, asbestos, pesticides, smog, and particulates from vehicle pollution, and more. End quote. According to the National Education Association, this is around 29 million students and school employees whose health and learning may be impacted every day. When adjusted for inflation, North Carolina funded per student has declined 10% since 2008. According to the report just issued by Education NC, North Carolina schools now rank 48th among 50 states in funding per student. According to a new report issued last month, North Carolina educational systems ranked quality 44th out of 50. Are we acting as responsible adults who love and protect our kids and our state's future? Doesn't look like it to me. One in five of all Americans, both children and adults, either study or work in a K-12 school. Environmental Protection Agency reports that half of all classrooms in America have poor indoor environments. This is a national tragedy, and one in which North Carolina is once again a leader. More than half of American school buildings are more than 50 years old. This means they are much more likely to have poor indoor environments because they were built before bringing fresh air into buildings was required. 
You used to be able to open the windows, but they are now all screwed shut for energy conservation security reasons, which is why the EPA says, quote, half of these adults and children spend their school days breathing air polluted with toxic chemicals, mold, viruses, bacteria, asbestos, pesticide smog, particulates from vehicle pollution, and more, end quote. When the word polluted is used, almost everyone thinks about trash alongside the roads or chemicals and rivers, outside stuff. The truth is that pollution indoors is now a much bigger problem than most people realize for two reasons. First, the average time spent indoors is now 93%. People are exposed to many more hours of indoor pollution than they used to be. Second, indoor air pollution levels are two to five times and sometimes as much as 100 times more worse than the outside. And to make matters even worse, much of this pollution is heavier than the normal air. So if you measure the pollution at the height of a six-year-old's mouth and lungs, it is much higher than where the teacher's mouth and lungs are. North Carolina's school funding formula has federal and state funds paying to teachers and staff and other operating costs, but under the current law, most of the funding for building construction and maintenance must be provided by the counties. And if these counties are poor and have limited budgets, they have to choose between paying teachers or fixing air conditioning. The school system staff who want to fix the building simply do not have the money to do so. The legislature could fix that. The impact of this poor indoor environment can be measured in several ways. For example, you can count the number of days students and teachers miss due to illness, or you can count how well students in modern school buildings do on standardized tests compared to the same kind of students, equal family income, same ethnic background in old buildings. Solid research shows that when indoor environments are found to be poor, absentee rates go up and learning goes down regardless of how financially well off the child's family is. Multiple studies done by national experts from Harvard, Lawrence Berkeley Lab, and Duke have found that increased the amount of fresh air in schools from none because the windows are locked shut to the standard recommended by the EPA can increase student learning by 17.5% in reading and 15% in math. Do you think those old buildings are mostly located in high-income or low-income counties? And how much do you think these buildings with poor indoor environment costs will cost those students in potential scholarships or admission to college if their grades in all of their courses are reduced one or two letter grades year after year on their report card. North Carolina's school funding formula keeps the rich on track for success and the poor on track for continued poverty. The bottom line is this. If North Carolina wants to get out of being ranked 44th lowest state in the country for quality of K-12 through education, we must move from being 48th ranked state in investing in our education of our children. And when we do, we must spend a good portion of those funds on fixing the indoor environment of schools. End quote. Francis Coster. Section 3, Recipe of the Week, Salmon and Parchment. For me, this is a great way to make tasty fish. I love cooking this way. In French, this is called a papillon. It gently steams the food until you are ready to serve it. The dish is loaded with omega-3 fats, vitamins A, C, E, magnesium, and calcium all of which these micronutrients are super important for metabolic health. Give this one a try. The link is in the newsletter. All right, folks, that's it for today. A little quickie. And as always, hug those kids. And the disclaimer, the information provided in this audio cast newsletter is for educational informational purposes only. It is not to be used as a substitute for advice or treatment provided by your physician or other healthcare professional. It's not to be used to diagnose or treat a health issue and does not constitute the formation of a provider or patient relationship. Have a great day.